Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, October 6th, 2017. Somebody new into the mix here. This guy is an interesting preacher. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. And uh, this is a fascinating program in that we name names, we play things in context, and we compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we should be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's being put out there is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. It's like not even close. And uh, this is a teaching work. It's a warning work, but uh, it's also a little bit akin to theological waterboarding, especially if you are under the spell of a false teacher. So over and again, we recommend that you take some time to listen to the program. Give yourself, uh, you know, three, four, six weeks somewhere in there and you'll get it. You'll you'll eventually get it. And when the light goes on, you're going to, uh, <laughs> you know, you'll end up sending me one of those emails. I, I, usually the emails I get go something like this. I used to think you were the biggest arrogant jerk in the whole world. And yeah, da, 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 yeah. And then I started opening up my Bible so I can prove you wrong. And uh-oh, <laughs> turns out you were telling me the truth. Yeah, that's the idea here. Where yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it's Friday today. And uh, what we're going to be doing, a new guy in the mix, uh, Eric Alexander is his name. He is a preacher from Scotland. And uh, we're going to be listening to his lesson that he uh, delivered a while back on a biblical perspective on healing. And um, if you've been, if you fall under the sway of the word of faith heresy, uh, the health and wealth heresy, the prosperity heresy, it goes along, it's health and wealth. Um, then you've been taught falsely regarding healing in Christ's church and uh, things of that nature. And this lecture by uh, Eric Anderson, I think, is quite helpful. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Here's Eric Alexander on a biblical perspective on healing. <laughs> 
If you were here last Sunday evening, you will know that I tried with great temerity, I suppose, to set before the congregation then a biblical perspective on suffering, as we called it. And we thought together about the relationship between suffering and sin, suffering and Satan, suffering and God, and suffering and the Christian believer, mainly from the experiences of Job and Paul, we try to understand a biblical perspective on this subject of suffering. Now this evening, as I suggested to you, perhaps I was warning you this morning in case you wanted to stay away, I was going to try to set out a biblical perspective on healing requiring, I'm sure, more temerity uh, than last week even, and an issue even more fraught with pitfalls and difficulties. Partly because of the great current interest that I detect in the subject of what is often called spiritual, miraculous, faith, or divine healing, and partly because it is an issue that presses upon us personally from time to time, I want to try to think with you this evening through the general teaching of Scripture upon this theme. We are not yet begun the new series of sermons that we will, I hope, begin next Sunday evening and therefore it seems an appropriate time for us to address ourselves to such an issue of the, as this. Uh, someone was telling me not uh, many days ago that they had received through the post something that I actually received through the post something like five, six years ago. It was in an envelope that came from the United States, and any of you who come from the United States will excuse me for giving this illustration. Could as easily have come from this country, I think. But inside the envelope, there was a piece of cloth, and alongside it, another self-addressed envelope. Take this piece of cloth, was the suggestion in the letter, and you may wish to put it under your pillow, or you may wish to lay it on some afflicted part of your body or on some friend or loved one. Send it directly back to me. Do not keep this cloth. I will pray over it night and day. Rivers of miracles will flow from this cloth, and healing will come to all who are in contact with it. The text which was used was that incident in Acts where the Apostle Paul um, had his handkerchief used as a means of bringing healing to someone. And um, my friend said to me just this week, this past week, that he had known so many people who had been led into such grave disillusionment 
and whose faith had probably taken something of a battering because of things of that kind. Now, I want us to try this evening to open up our hearts and minds to what I trust is the biblical perspective on healing. I want basically to do three things. I want to turn, first of all, to the vocabulary, which is the root of the biblical teaching on healing. What are the words that are used for it? Then I want to look at the doctrinal roots in Scripture on which all Scripture's teaching is based and from which it flows. And then thirdly, I want to look more specifically at the question of miraculous healing, particularly in the New Testament. And that's the general outline of what I hope we may do. I say to you again that uh, my only concern is that we might uh, think together biblically. I should really have told you that uh, when I mentioned to this friend of mine that I was going to be speaking about the biblical perspective on healing this evening, his response was in one word, crumbs, he said. I have never, I have never tried to do this before. After I'm finished tonight, you may think I should never try to do it again. <laughs> Let me begin. In the whole world of vocabulary, you will probably know that the English word for health comes from an Anglo-Saxon root, which gives rise to words like wholeness, and indeed our English word, holiness. And it's in line with that, that broad idea for health and well-being, that the World Health Organization defines health in this way, and I quote, it is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. Now, of course, in the biblical vocabulary, the Bible would add to that definition not only a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, but primarily spiritual well-being. Because in Scripture, health centers on our having a right relationship with God. So the word in the Old Testament for healing, the commonly used word, is used for healing disease, such as, for example, leprosy, whatever that disease may have been. But it is also used, and used more often, interestingly enough, for healing a land which has gone wrong in the eyes of God, a whole nation, in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Healing the soul, 
when it is in the eyes of God sick in Psalm 41.4, healing the broken heart when it has been broken by burdens and sorrows in Psalm 147.3. It is used also of healing backsliding. That is the tendency of people to drift away from God. And what God is saying, you see, is these people are sick. In the deepest sense of sickness, they are sick. They may be robust in physical health, but in the eyes of God, they are sick and need healing. So the vocabulary, especially of the Old Testament, tells us three things about health. It is a state, first of all, of wholeness and fulfillment of God's purpose in every area of life, spiritual, physical, social, and mental. Secondly, it has particularly an ethical side, and that is complete obedience to the will and word and law of God. A man is healthy when he is living in obedience to God's law. In its physical manifestation, it is strength and long life. And that, generally speaking, is the Old Testament's view of health. So if you want to claim the promise that's made and often quoted in Exodus 15:26, I am the Lord who heals you, you must not confine that to any one area of life. The process of healing is the process of the transformation of everything that is out of sorts with God in our lives. Now, if I may just point out to you, this is the great evil you will see of coming to God and insisting that God will deal with one area of my life that's out of sorts. I may have some bodily sickness, and I may come to God and say, you are the Lord who has promised, I will heal you. And I want to claim that promise. And then we are asking for something God does not promise. Indeed, we are claiming from God something in which God is not fundamentally interested. Because, as I was saying last Sunday evening, a sick soul in a healthy body is not in God's eyes a desirable condition. There is a wholeness about Scripture's view of health which is of immense importance. Now that leads me from the verbal roots of the biblical doctrine of healing to the doctrinal roots, and here I want to spend a little time. Let me explain what I mean by the doctrinal roots of the biblical view, and especially I think I'm still in the Old Testament view of healing. Physical healing 
is related to three major areas of God's sovereign activity in the world. It is related first to the doctrine of creation. It is related secondly to the doctrine of providence. That is God's sovereign overruling and providing in all manner of ways for his people. It is related thirdly to the doctrine of redemption. Now let me try to explore each of these a little with you. The whole question of healing in Scripture is related to the doctrine of creation because God has made our physical bodies. We are, as we were studying in the Psalms last Sunday morning, fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He has created the remarkable reality of our physical well-being and our anatomy and physiology is perhaps one of the greatest results of God's creative work. Now, more particularly, God has made us in our bodily functions with certain limited self-healing qualities. For example, in areas that all of us, uh, with total ignorance of medical matters as laymen in that world, would know. When you get an infection in one particular area of your body, you will know that antibodies rush to that area of your body to fight the infection. Now, that is part of God's creative genius that he has made us in that form. This is why when you get a wound or a cut, you will find that that area heals. It is the basis on which, of course, you heal after surgery. I think I would not be insulting my surgical friends if I said that surgeons don't actually heal. Surgeons excise an area of the anatomy that may be causing trouble, and when they are finished, the healing process that takes place is something that belongs to the function of the body created by God. And one particular surgeon, Gordon Scorer, who has written on some of these matters, says, all surgeons depend, whether they recognize it or not, on God's healing power in the processes of the created body. The same is true, I'm sure, just in case I fall out with the surgeons of physicians who diagnose a problem in a particular area of the body and prescribe for it. And then the process of healing when the medicine has been taken, is a process that is performed by the created body. Now, all healing, in that sense, is God's doing. Healing is related to the way God has created us. And that leads me to the second area where healing is related not only to the doctrine of creation, but also to the doctrine of providence. 
God has made provision, you see, in nature for certain medicinal curative properties to reside in what he has made. It is one of the marvelous things in God's providence that wherever you look in what God has made, you discover that there are medicinal curative properties. One obvious example of that and a notable one, which many of us will know about without any medical knowledge, is the use of digitalis to regulate certain forms of heart disease. And that, of course, is a naturally growing plant. There are many areas like that. But nowadays, God has provided all manner of chemical substances which have been discovered to have significance in relation to disease, and they have been produced in the form of drugs, and God uses these to further the process of healing. Now, it's providence that provides such instruments of healing under skilled direction. He has also in his providence provided people with specialist skills. He has provided medical schools. He has provided medical discoveries and given people wisdom and insight in that particular area. So the answer to the question, should I trust God or go to the doctor? I have been asked that question many times. Should I trust God or go to the doctor? The obvious answer is both. And Jesus himself puts it beyond doubt when he says, They that are whole do not need a physician, but those who are sick. Now you see the two things Jesus is saying. If you are well, you will not go to the physician because you don't need him. If you are sick, you will go to the physician because you do need him. And Jesus is clearly speaking about the way God uses the provided skills of physicians in this area. Therefore, to refuse medical treatment and to refuse medical assistance is to deny the providence of God in this particular area. It's a very important thing for us to see. The doctrine of creation and the doctrine of providence are by and large, may I say, doctrines in which evangelicals are weak. But we need to relate these things to these doctrines, creation and providence. But I said earlier that the whole question of the biblical perspective of, in, on healing relates not only to the doctrine of creation and to the doctrine of providence, but to the doctrine of redemption. And there is a verse that is very frequently used and is quoted by Matthew. In Matthew chapter 8, it comes from Isaiah chapter 53, where Isaiah says, Surely he took up our infirmities. This 
is the chapter, the great classical chapter dealing with the atoning death of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he take up? What did he bear in his atoning death? Isaiah says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows or our pains. Now Matthew, as I say, quotes that in the context of Jesus' healing ministry. He says he did this to fulfill the prophecy which said he bore our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. Now, this has been made the basis for a great deal of discussion and many claims that there is what is called healing in the atonement. Now, if you are thinking in biblical terms, there is unquestionably healing in the atonement. There is healing for our souls which are burdened by sin. There is healing for our consciences, which are stricken by guilt. There is healing for our minds, which cannot find peace with God or with others or with ourselves. There is healing for our relationships. But above all other things, there is healing for our relationship with God and there is healing for our bodies. But it's a very important thing for us to notice when that healing comes. It has been frequently said there is healing in the atonement. Jesus died in order that he might bear our sicknesses and carry our infirmities or our pains. And I say again, it's of great importance for us to grasp when that healing comes. When shall we be, in biblical terms, living in unblemished bodies, free from pain, free from sickness, free from suffering in all its forms? Well, I want to tell you our Lord Jesus Christ gained that glorious end in his death on the cross. And there is a promise that God has given to us that out of Christ's atoning work, there is coming a day when we shall not only have our sins forgiven, but we shall also have new bodies in which to worship and serve him. But the promise that our bodies will be free from suffering, pain, and blemish belongs to heaven, not to earth. And it is a vital thing for us to grasp this. Now, it is for this reason, of course, that our Lord Jesus, when he was confronting, for example, demonic powers in the days of his flesh, challenged them and commanded them to be gone, and they were subject to him. But I want to say to you, the Lord Jesus did not abolish Satan and his temptations 
while he was here on earth. He demonstrated his authority over the powers of darkness. But the day when Satan will finally be destroyed is still to come. When our Lord Jesus was here on earth, he also confronted sickness and disease. And the sick were subject to his sovereign command. When he said to the blind to see, he saw. But what I want to point out to you is Jesus did not abolish sickness when he was here on earth. When he ascended into heaven, he left a multitude of sick and dying people there behind him. And the point about the healing that has been gained in the atonement is that it is a healing which will be experienced in all its glory. So far as our bodies are concerned, in the resurrection morning when our Savior returns again. Now that's a very important thing for us to grasp. All right, we are going to pause right there. We're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. The balance of today's lesson by Eric Alexander on a biblical perspective on healing. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quan Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm going to give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando... We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. You think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. 
Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with the health and wealth prosperity heresy now that you're learning the biblical doctrine of healing. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at 
$24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to this uh, this fine biblical l- look at the uh, what scriptures teach regarding healing from uh, Scottish pastor Eric Anderson. Here we go. And that leads me to the third area on which I want to say something to you. Not only do we need to grasp the vocabulary, the verbal roots from which the biblical truth about healing springs, and the doctrinal roots in creation, providence, and redemption from which the biblical truth on healing springs. But we need to grasp the whole question of miraculous healing, which, of course, we find so much in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Because the reasons that so much healing and casting out of demons takes place in the Gospels is to authenticate Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of his people, and in the book of Acts to authenticate the apostles as the specially commissioned servants and representatives of Christ, and the signs of the Messiah and the signs of the apostle are so often these miracles of healing, casting out demons, and so on. So what are we to think about miraculous healing? And I'm really talking about miraculous healing now. Let me tell you how a miracle needs to be defined. A miracle may be conveniently defined as a striking interposition of divine power by which the ordinary operations of nature are overruled, suspended, or modified. Let me say that again. A miracle is a striking interposition of divine power by which the ordinary operations of nature are overruled, suspended, or modified. A miracle, in other simpler words, is a supernatural intervention of God in the natural order. Now, in the New Testament Gospels and in Acts, as you will well know, almost all physical healings are miraculous. They are not only the immediate and complete and permanent restoration of those who are crippled, blind, leprous, dumb, and so on. They also include the instantaneous resurrection of the dead. Now, that's an important thing 
for us to recognize. Not only did Jesus heal the cripple, the blind, the dumb, and the leprous, he also resurrected the dead, and so did the apostles. I'm thinking of the cases of Tabitha and Eutychus. You know Eutychus, of course, in Acts chapter 20. Many of you may have a fellow feeling for him. He was under the apostles' somewhat lengthy ministry and was in a stuffy, ill-ventilated room, I would guess, and he fell asleep and fell out of the window and was killed. And the apostle resurrected him back to life. But such people as Eutychus and Tabitha and such people as those in the Gospels whom Jesus resurrected were truly dead like Lazarus. And Jesus reversed that natural condition and resurrected them. They are accomplished mostly by a word, sometimes by a touch, on occasion by the application of spittle from Jesus' mouth. For what particular reason, I don't think we really know. Let me simply say to you at this point that there is absolutely no evidence anywhere in the New Testament for healing being accompanied by what is known as slaying in the spirit. You may have seen instances of this. It is totally foreign to the whole of the New Testament where healings are by word or touch or whatever. Now, the important thing about all of these healings is that they are not performed merely for the sake of healing. They are performed because they are signs. They are not just dramatic miracles. They are present in the New Testament Gospels and in the book of Acts as signs of two things. First, in Jesus' case, of his Messiahship. They are authenticating the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. For example, in Matthew chapter 11, when they come from John the Baptist and ask him, how are we to know that you are the Messiah? You will remember how Jesus answers them. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, go back and tell John. And what you are to tell him is this. Report to him that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now, what's the point of all that? The point is, these are the signs of the Messiah. These are the evidences that the Son of God has truly come. And the point about these miracles of healing is precisely that they authenticate Jesus' Messiahship. In the case of the apostles, the signs and wonders which they do have the same purpose to authenticate, in their case, 
their genuine apostleship. You will know, we found this morning when we started studying Galatians, that many of the people who were contemporaries of Paul doubted his genuine apostolic commission. And the way that that was authenticated is, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, this. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. Now, these are the things that mark an apostle. They are the signs of apostleship. And wherever you look in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, miracles of all kinds are there, specifically the miracles of healing, in order to authenticate Jesus' Messiahship or to authenticate the reality of the apostolic commission that the apostles are given. Now, it's interesting to note that in the epistles there is almost no mention of miraculous healing. In Galatians 4, Paul is ill and is not healed. In Philippians 2, Epaphroditus is ill and is not healed. In 1 Timothy 5, Timothy is ill and is not healed. In 2 Timothy 4, Trophimus is ill and is not healed. In the epistles, you do not get these instances of miraculous healing. In the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you get reference to the gift of healing, whatever that gift may particularly be. But the great question that needs to be asked, and I need to hurry on because you are remarkably patient, and uh, I am very grateful for that. The great question that needs to be asked is, is God healing miraculously today? Or more especially, can God heal miraculously today? That is the question that many of us will find people putting to us. Now, I want to say to you very simply that since God is eternal and unchanging, there is no question whatsoever that there is no limit to God's power, and without question, He may heal today miraculously as He did throughout the whole of the Scripture. People will often say, here is the great truth on which we rest in the 13th chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what I want to say to you is this. I do not believe that we have the right to claim that miraculous healing from God. I mentioned Joni Erickson Tada last Sunday evening. We met her in Florida at a conference uh, a year and a bit, two years ago. And I remember her saying how enormously discouraged and distressed she was 
when somebody said to her, now it is a great pity, you will know that she went through a dreadful accident and became quadriplegic. It is a great pity, they said to her, that you do not have the faith to claim healing from God. And her marvelous answer was, I do not believe I can claim from God anything he has not specifically promised to me. And God has nowhere promised that. It is an undoubted fact that God is unchanging in his nature. That does not mean that his plans and purposes never alter from one day to another. And therefore, when we pray for healing as pray we ought to, we need to pray, if this is in your will. Now that in no sense limits our trust and confidence in God. It increases it and focuses it. But some friends of mine were at a very large gathering in this country not terribly long ago where there were offers of healing. You just need to come down to the front. And uh, when people came to the front, the person who was leading it said, Now, I don't want any, if it be thy will, prayers in here. I want to claim from God without question what I know he will give. And I thought when they told me they would have had great difficulty in Gethsemane, these people. Wouldn't they? Where our Lord Jesus Christ said, Father, if it be your will. And if the Lord Jesus Christ had to say it, you and I need to say it too. I am bound to say to you, that in our own time, I do not have the slightest beginnings of a doubt that God could resurrect the dead this evening if he so chose. I have no question in my mind. I could honestly tell you about that. But what does appear to me to be true is that God, in his perfect wisdom, has chosen mainly to heal either directly in answer to prayer without the use of means or through the means of normal, qualified medical practitioners. Now that's the whole point of the passage we read. When will he get to it, I imagine you were saying. We read a passage in James chapter 5. I didn't intend to expound it to you this evening anyway because we expounded it when we studied James together some time ago. But this is the point 
of that passage in James, where the normal pattern of the church of God is this, that those who are sick call on the elders and call on the elders to do one particular thing. What will these elders be known as? They are not going to be known as faith healers. These elders are men of prayer. And you are to call on the elders in order that they might pray. Now you say, what about the oil they are to anoint them with? Well, the word that is used for anointing is not the word that's commonly used for the spiritual anointing that is given in certain occasions in Scripture. It is the word that is used frequently of the medical application of oil to someone who is ill. And my conclusion is that the oil that is described in James 5 is probably a medicament of some kind, although I'm not too concerned about how you think about that. But the vital thing is that we call upon the elders of the church and ask them to pray. Where is the confidence of the sick person then for healing? I tell you where it is. It's not in God, in the, the elders. It's not in the doctor either, ultimately. It is in God. Now that's where the believer's confidence is to be. I want to say to you with the greatest possible respect for the medical profession, I can't afford to fall out with them even if I wanted to. But I want to say to you that the last word does not lie with doctors. The last word lies with God. And that means that we need to trust God, call upon our brethren and sisters to pray, and accept all the medical help that God in His providence and mercy will give us. Now that seems to me to be the biblical thing to do in relation to sickness. So how are we to conclude? There is, my dear friends, there is healing in Christ. That's what I want to say to you this evening. There is healing in Christ. But it is healing right across the board in the whole of life. And you cannot say to God, kindly heal me here, but not there. Thank you very much. I want my pain in my right arm healed, but I don't want you to heal my bad temper. My dear friends, God will heal right across the board. Third thing is God does hear and answer prayer. I have known, you have known of people for whom we have prayed. And in amazing ways, God has healed them. Now, it's a very wrong thing, as it seems to me, for us to say 
Now here is a miracle God has performed, because there are many doctors who will tell you that they have seen exactly the same healing taking place outside of any religious connotation in their hospital. There are diseases which by themselves regress. There are tumors which by themselves shrink. There are conditions which by themselves disappear. And if you are trying to use that as a sign in order to convince some non-Christian doctor of the truth of the Christian faith, what he will say to you rightly in my judgment is, I have seen exactly the same thing happen in my hospital and nobody ever prayed. Now, I would want to say to him, that healing came from God too, but it's not a miracle. It is part of the providence of God in healing. But what it means is that we trust him for whatever his perfect purpose for us may be. And that's the most important thing of all. Don't you think? And the most costly, to trust him for whatever the best thing for me may be. You see, that's the kind of physician Jesus is. His diagnosis is absolutely accurate. His prescription is universally perfect. And therefore we say to him, Lord, whatever your will may be, I want that more than anything else in the world. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ as vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.